here, the student sums it up through sound. I'm your host, Olivia Yeager, and every Wednesday I'll sit down with the editors, writers, and newsmakers of Amherst College to get a grasp on the biggest stories of the week. Today is Wednesday, March 24th, and we start off with some, some somber news. As many listeners will know, Last week, we saw the violent hate crime in Atlanta targeted specifically at Asian women in Georgia. So this week, Lynn Lee brings us a story about how the college and students are responding to that event and the recent surge of anti-Asian racism it represents. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell me a little bit about how the college and administrators were responding to this event in the immediate aftermath. What were the words they shared with students? What were the events they put on to recognize this and affirm uh, the college's place with regard to these national events? So President Martin sent out an email to the college community on Wednesday, March 17th, um, in which he condemned the attacks and recent surge in anti-Asian prejudice, uh, as well as offered resources and support to students who are, our students and other community members who are processing the events. Administrators also offered their support um, to student leaders, like the leaders of the Asian Students Association, organizing the in-person and Zoom vigils that were held on Saturday, March 20th for students to have a space to discuss their feelings and reactions to the news. And could you tell me more about what some of those feelings and reactions were? Just immediate thoughts and and feelings that students had in the aftermath? Definitely. So students were dealing with tremendous amounts of shock and grief and also anger in light of the events. Um, And not even just the immense violence of the crime itself, but also the way in which the mainstream media sort of denied at first that the shootings were even racially motivated. One student I interviewed that she couldn't believe that it was even a debate whether the shootings was a race issue or a sex issue because people were simply not considering that it could just be both. The student covered the administration's response to the anti-Asian racism early in the pandemic, so about a year ago, and In writing my article, I reviewed what she had written back in last spring. And something that was really striking to me was that uh, in interviewing like Asian students and Asian student leaders, so many of the things that they were saying were just so similar to um, what was in the article from last year. And for me, it just really highlighted like how little has changed over this past year. And I know that Amherst has seen, as you mentioned, there are a number of there are a number of affinity groups and activism groups who are working to for 
racial justice, especially for Asian American students on campus, how are they not only reacting, but how are they they mobilizing and addressing this with regard to their existing goals and projects? Yes, student affinity groups such as the Asian Students Association, as well as like the Chinese Students Association uh, have definitely taken the lead in organizing spaces for uh, Asian American students to process and heal from the events. So for instance, the ASA organized two vigils on Saturday, March 20th. One was in person at the War Memorial and the other one was held over Zoom. And the purpose was just to give students a space where uh, they were able to talk about the events and talk about what actions they would like to see the college do in response. While the in-person gathering was a bit smaller, the Zoom uh, vigil had over 90 attendees and also featured 10 student and faculty speakers who presented like readings from poetry, essays, and literature in addition to their own reflections on the campus response. Oh, that's wonderful. Could you share some of those specific calls to action that came out of these events? What are those those asks that the student activists are proposing and, and placing on the college? Yeah, so definitely the biggest one is the call for a designated Asian American Studies Department at the college. And activism surrounding this cause actually first began back in 1972. So for many student activists, um, it's simply long overdue. The Association of Amherst Students in their statement of solidarity called uh, the lack of a department and major for Asian and Pacific American studies, I quote, a shameful and violent extension of the violence that happened in Georgia. And um, other student leaders who I talked to similarly voiced their frustrations. Wow, that's a really powerful quote for a pretty powerful movement that I know has been, been strong and present my entire time at Amherst. Thank you so much, Lynn, for bringing us this story and for, for doing this reporting on a subject that is weighty in and of itself. And I'm sure all the more weighty when you need to interview and process and then write about all the emotion behind it. So, so thank you so very much, truly, for, for doing this. We appreciate it. This week did bring some good news, I will say. The college announced its plans for an in-person commencement at the end of May. So Zach Jonas is reporting on that and he brings us that story today. Hi, Zach. What can you tell us about what a commencement will look like on May 31st? President Biddy Martin's email was very optimistic. So the call hold to host an in-person ceremony and that contrasts sharply 
with what happened last year. So if we remember two semesters ago, seniors went home and then proceeded to have a virtual ceremony. They never got to walk across the stage, shake hands with Biddy, have their parents come to see them receive their diploma. None of that was possible for those seniors. The class of 2021 e-ceremony also took place virtually in December of 2020. Seniors for this, for this ceremony may invite two guests, as long as those guests comply with a rigorous testing protocol that will be enforced by the college. It will probably have to be tested the, before arriving, maybe a couple days in advance. It might be similar to, to the color tests that students had to do prior to arriving on campus, or those people will have to just find a test locally before they arrive on campus. It is a one-day ceremony on May 30, that's a Sunday. The seniors must leave immediately after the ceremony ends, so move out will take place immediately after the ceremony. Dean of Students Liz Augusto should relay more information to seniors prior to the ceremony. Do you know, will other students on campus be able to attend uh, even if they're not graduating? Or will students who took the year off and studied remotely, will they be able to attend? Do you know about any of those details for students who are not graduating but want to attend commencement? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm not sure about students who are not graduating. I don't believe they will be able to come, but all seniors, regardless of where they're currently studying, are invited to participate in the ceremony. So even if those students are studying remotely right now in a different state, they will be able to come. Of course, this entire process is dependent on local COVID regulations, local protocols enforced by the state, as well as just the trajectory of the pandemic at that time. Of course. And do we have any details of what the ceremony might look like beyond being an in-person commencement ceremony? Are there going to be speeches or uh, a traditional stage set up? Or is it all we know right now that commencement will be happening in some form or another? I think all we know right now is that commencement will be happening. But for the students that I've talked to, I've talked to two seniors. One was a first-gen college student. This news was fantastic. It was, it was a pleasant surprise, at least because, especially because last, last year's commencement was canceled, the in-person commencement is canceled. And other colleges have already canceled their own commencements for this year. This news was appreciated by, by the senior class. Thanks so much, Zach, for bringing us this story. We will look forward to hearing more as plans progress for the, for the graduation. And then lastly, we will talk about what that graduation will mean. It will be the college's 200th graduation. It's bicentennial. This whole year represents that celebration of the college's 200th year. So Sophie Wolmer wraps us up today with a story about those 200 years and what the celebration means, especially this year, one of the college's weirdest. Sophie, what did you find out in the reporting for this article? How is the bicentennial celebration going and how is it changing uh, given the, the COVID conditions we're under? This article, it started off where I was looking at on March 19th, Amherst College, we were celebrating our 200th anniversary, anniversary with the Masked Mammoth Meetup. So that was really my end to this article. And from there, it just kept uh, flourishing and flourishing. And I realized how large this effort is. So I guess I can just start with talking a bit about the Masked Mammoth Meetup. For those who don't know, this celebratory occasion 
hosted food from local vendors and live music, and it's just one of the numerous events that were planned to celebrate the bicentennial year. So planning for the bicentennial year really began two years ago, um, and now there are more than 10 projects, which include live events, college property renovations, contributions to the arts, and reflections on the Amherst Uprising, which had its five-year anniversary, which coincides with the bicentennial, and also Indigenous history in Western Massachusetts. So the website, um, there's specifically an entire page on the Amherst College website dedicated to the bicentennial, and there you can find the official announcement from President Martin, which launched uh, the project on February 24th. It was originally supposed to start in the fall, but because of uh, all the COVID regulations and uh, different problems that they had to address with that, they had to start later on. And in the video, President Martin said that there's a twofold commitment of the bicentennial. Basically, the college wants to celebrate its past and its ongoing commitment to the central tenets of the liberal arts education, but um, it also wants to continually commit to progress uh, and restorative justice and continuing to evolve to meet the current demands of the world and solve timely problems. Fantastic. I love that twofold mission. So can you tell me a little bit more about some of those 10 projects that are part of reaching that mission? What are some of the most engaging or uh, the biggest ones that that students and Amherst community members alike can look forward to? Yeah, um, I actually talked to a lot of project heads and it was super interesting to get an insight into the different projects. I guess I should start with um, addressing the bicentennial and Amherst past. So in order to really investigate the history, uh, the Frost Library team they were charged with going through libraries, archives, and special collections. And Mike Kelly, who's the head of the archives and special collections, digitized thousands of yearbooks, student publications, photographs, scrapbooks, all from 1960 to 2005, really, which you can access directly on the Bicentennial page. Um, the college also commissioned three Bicentennial books. So they wrote three books about the Bicentennial. One was by Nancy Pick, uh, graduating in 84, another one by Blair Carnins in 79, and another Professor Emerita Martha Saxton. She also published a book. And I had a chance to talk to the Bicentennial manager, Rebecca Kennedy, and she clued me in on all of the different events. So one of the initiatives is Solidarity Book Project. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about that. It was launched by the art and history professor, uh, Sonia Clark, 89. Another project addresses indigenous history at Amherst College. So there's a plaque that's being created to that's going to be dedicated to indigenous people from the area. And also they, they're hosting a panel with alumni, students, and faculty who identify with the Native American community. They're also redoing the Amherst College Alumni Gym for all those uh, sports fans out there. Um, so they're going to brighten space and redo the lobby. So they're basically a, completely giving a makeover to um, the to the trophy cases on either side of the lobby. And they're actually taking down all of the photos, the historical photos that line the hallways. Um, so if you've noticed that the hallways seem a little bit empty, that's why they're fixing them and putting them in more of a logistical order to reflect the fact that 
Amherst is one of the oldest and prestigious athletic programs in the nation. They're also redoing the sanctuary trail system and the bird sanctuary. Uh, Associate Professor of Economics and Environmental Studies, Catherine Sims, is working on that. I talked to her. Yeah, she got input from frequenters of the trail system and from the varsity cross-country teams. Yes, yeah, so she just wants to increase the accessibility to the paths, uh, woods, and meadows around the area. And then there are three Emily Dickinson-themed projects. You can see there's a ton of projects involved in this. There's also a woman in music at Amherst College Initiative. So I talked to Professor Coddington and basically the Amherst Choral Society, Amherst College Symphony Orchestra, and Amherst College Jazz Ensemble are joining forces to premiere a 30-minute work by composer Rena Esmail. Originally, it was supposed to be in the fall, but they pushed that back as well. And then I guess the last thing is Lit Fest, but the Bicentennial was the official sponsor of LIFS 2021, um, where they had alum an alumni career panel of unconventional writers. What stands out about that is that it really touches on so many different facets of Amherst life that really seem pretty central to the identity of the school, whether it's music or the natural environment that surrounds us or the athletics or or literature and, and writing. I think it really captures captures a lot of the legacy Amherst has had. I'm curious to learn more about the, the racial justice um, and aspect of this plan. And as you mentioned, the plan is focused on progressing that legacy forward. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what um, what the bicentennial is doing, not just looking back, but but planning for, for the future and a more just and equitable one at that? 100%. Um, so advancing the bicentennial, it, it includes an ongoing recognition and addressment of racism. Um, so the bicentennial is going to continue to pursue the aims that were set forth in the anti-racism plan, which was published on August 3rd uh, by President Martin. Um, the college has also made a commitment to the climate action and the goal is to modernize its energy usage and shift from fossil fuel usage to renewable energy. Um, they want to go beyond college or carbon neutrality and really inspire students and alumni to address, address climate change on a global scale. I guess the last thing I should probably mention is that the creation of the new student center is actually part of the bicentennial. And so that's going to be designed by Harzog and Demurin, um, which is a Swiss architectural firm. Well, thanks, Sophie. I think we'll look forward to the, the year ahead of more Bicentennial events, and I'm excited to see for the things to come. Thanks yes. for, for this reporting. Special thanks to Sophie Wolmer, Zach Jonas, and Yilin Lee for helping compile the reporting and editing needed to bring these stories to you. Thanks to Becca Pichotto and Sky Wu for the audio and podcast production help. This has been an Amherst Student Production.